Last weekend, Bruce did just a, a wonderful job of talking about a passage that many of us would probably read and look at and just kind of blow past because it was just a, a listing of a bunch of names, a bunch of normal guys, a bunch of normal sinful people, and talked about the importance of how God uses sinful people like me and, and sinful people like you and sinful people like those apostles. I, I don't know if that was encouraging to you, but I loved hearing the, just the, the reality that God uses people like the ones that he chose. And so as we uh, look at this week's passage, we're continuing on. We're just going to keep plugging our way through as we always do. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 6. I'll invite you to find your way there. We're going to look at verses 17 through 26 tonight. So uh, what we're looking at, this this passage that we're starting, that we're going into, that we're going to look at for the next couple of weeks, uh, is often referred to as what's called the Sermon on the Plain or the Sermon on the Level Place. Sounds familiar because uh, there's a a passage in Matthew that's a little more well-known called the Sermon on the Mount, and this one uh, directly connects to that. It's a parallel passage. So uh, Luke's Sermon on the Plain, uh, as it talks about in verse 17, it talks about how they were on a level place, uh, is very, very similar. Most of the, uh, the words that you see in these are also mirrored in Matthew's Sermon on the Mount that we see in ver- chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew. So uh, interestingly enough, uh, Luke also mentions a mountain in his passage uh, in verse 17, but uh, I included for you guys a, a photo of uh, what is speculated by some in the Middle East to be the location where Jesus stood and gave this message. So uh, if you look at the photo, if you can see it, if you can't, that's okay. Just use your imagination. Uh, it talks about in this passage about how Jesus went up and was up the mountain and uh, chose the disciples and listed the disciples that were mentioned last week as Bruce was sharing with us. And then it says that he came down a little ways and stopped in a level place and, and, and taught the passage that we're going to look at. Well, if you think about it, Maybe that means he came all the way down the mountain, and maybe that means he came all the way down and was in the valley and was sharing uh, at, at the bottom and was no longer on the mountain. Or, as some have speculated here, if you look at this photo, you'll see sometimes as you come down a mountain, you come down, and it's not just a, a flat angle all the way down. Sometimes you come down, and then there's a level place, and then you go down a little bit more, and there's a level place. So uh, what some people would speculate is that this was a plane on the side of a mountain. So as uh, Luke shares uh, this passage, this sermon of Jesus, uh, we see some similarity between Luke chapter 6 and Matthew 5 through 7. Some would argue that this is the same sermon. Some people would say this is the same passage, we just have different versions of Matthew remembered more stuff, and and maybe Luke was a little more focused on what he remembered. Some would argue that uh, Jesus was using the same material, but he preached at different times, that they would argue that preachers sometimes recycle their material. I've got a few preachers that are here. Pastor Dave, you've never recycled something and preached something that you prepared years ago and, and reused that. You've never done that, right? Give me a thumbs up. You would never. No, no, we got a thumbs down. Bruce, I know you've never done that, right? No, Bruce has never done that. I'll, I'll, I'll rat out all of the preachers here, myself included. In the year that I've been here, there have been multiple conversations where we've talked about, well, who's going to preach that? Well, well, I've, I've preached it before years ago. I've, I've kind of studied that and talked about that before, so I can take that one. We, we've all done that before. So maybe, just maybe, Jesus has preached two separate sermons, but they're just very similar. Some people would argue that. I'm not one of those people. I think this is the same passage that uh, Luke and Matthew are telling, the same story of the same instance. And as we 
digest that a little bit. Why is it different? Well, uh, remember that Matthew is writing to a specific group of people with a specific purpose, and Luke is writing to a specific group of people with a specific purpose. Matthew was writing to mostly Jewish people, explaining to them why Jesus was the Messiah that they'd been waiting for. So he's making a case with a lot of religious nuance to it, a lot of things that, that, that he wanted to make very clear for these Jewish people. Look, Jesus is the one that we've been waiting for. Meanwhile, we also have Luke over here writing to a bunch of Greeks, a bunch of Hellenists, a bunch of people who, who wouldn't necessarily know all of the nuances. What he's doing is he's making it clear, Jesus is the guy. Jesus is the Savior. He's the one that you have to know about. You can miss all the other religious guys, all the other teachers, all of the other people, but don't miss this one. Don't miss Jesus. So Luke and Matthew are, are accomplishing different things. And so uh, as Matthew has written over 100 verses about this sermon that Jesus gave, and Luke has written like 30. I believe that these are the same thing, that this is the same information that that Matthew and Luke are just sharing it a little bit different. So let's read the passage. Let's jump in and and look at the whole chunk. We're going to read verses 17 through 26. We'll read the whole big chunk, and then we'll go back and dig into it a little bit. Read along with me, Luke chapter 6. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place. There was a large crowd of his disciples and a great throng of people from all of Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. All the people were trying to touch him for power was coming from him and healing them all. And turning his gaze toward his disciples, he began to say, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that, God, that we can hear from you tonight. God, that we can hear these words of Jesus, this this sermon that Jesus shared with his disciples, with the ones who had, had given their lives to follow him. And God, we thank you that that we can gather together as people who have given our lives to follow you. And, and God, we can hear these same words. God, we pray that you would speak to us. God, that you would speak not only to our brain and, and our intellectual understanding, but God, speak to our hearts tonight. God, speak to us. Call us to uh, obedience. God, we don't want to just be hearers of the word, but to be doers. So God, as you speak tonight, we pray that you would give us hearts and, and, and ears that are able and willing to listen. God, we give this time to you, and we pray that you would use it and that you would work in us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to look at a few different chunks of it. Let's chunk it up and, and bite it in a, a chewable bite at a time. So the first thing that we're going to see is Jesus addressing the crowd. We look at verses 17 through 19. We see Jesus turn around and begin to address these disciples that have been following him. Now, that word disciples is, is a term that we see throughout Luke in different places. And sometimes it refers to the 12 disciples that we think of when we hear that word disciples. And there was also a group of, a, a, a little bit bigger group of 
70, 80, 100, 200, a group of people a little bit more significant than just the 12 that, that were following Jesus around, that were learning from him, that were, that were listening to his teaching. They had said also, we want to follow this guy. We want to hear what this guy has to say. And so this crowd is, is following Jesus around and, and wants to hear from him. And as he stops in this level place on this plain on the side of a mountain, he continues to minister. He continues to heal people. It says that he was healing as he had been doing, as he had been proving uh, chapter after chapter. We've seen it a few different chapters now about how Jesus has the power to cast out demons. Jesus has the power to cast out diseases. Jesus has the power to accomplish whatever he wants to accomplish, really. And as he is ministering to these people, what Luke does is, is Luke introduces a second sermon of Jesus in his gospel of Luke. The first one we saw in Luke chapter 4, and now in this second sermon in Luke chapter 6. And in the first one in 4, he addressed the crowds. He addressed everybody that may have been listening. And when he addresses this one in chapter 6, he addresses his disciples. He addresses the people who have been following him, as we see in some of these verses. The Beatitudes are pastoral words of comfort for Jesus. They're, they're, they're information. They're, they're, they're Jesus speaking to the people that are important to him. They're Jesus speaking to the people that have been committing their lives to follow him. How do we know this? Well, both in Matthew and in Luke, it says that the audience uh, is addressed not to the crowds, but to the disciples. We see that in Luke uh, 6.20. We also see as it concludes, Jesus concludes both Matthew and Luke. He concludes with a beatitude that refers to how people are persecuted for their faith. Well, if he's addressing a crowd of people that don't believe in him and don't follow him, it doesn't make a lot of sense for Jesus to address it and explain how people that don't follow him are going to be persecuted for following him, right? Make sense? Got tracking? All right, so here we have uh, the start of the actual sermon that starts in verse 20. It goes for, for several more verses beyond what we're going to look at tonight, but we're going to look at just this first section that, that we're going to call the, the blessings and the woes, the the advantages of what it looks like to follow God and the dangers of what it looks like not to follow God. This sermon begins with an invitation and a warning to those who are listening. See that the first part declares how God blesses a certain type of life. You guys remember this from uh, last year as we were looking at Deuteronomy before we came into the Gospel of Luke. It talks about how there are paths of, of life. There are different ways that people will live, and, and depending on how you live, you will either live in a blessed way or you will live a life that is cursed. That doesn't necessarily mean that God is sitting in heaven waiting to to flick thunderbolts at people when they don't follow all of the rules. But what it is, is it's, it's God saying, guys, this is the way that life was created to be lived. If you do it this way, it works. This is not the way that life was meant to be lived. If you do it this way, there's some dangers. There's some potholes. There's, there's some thorns that are going to stick you and are going to hurt if you decide to walk on this path. So what Jesus does here is Jesus explains a little bit the, the blessings and the curses that are a reality for those who choose to either follow him or not follow him in the way that he tells them to. So as he jumps into these things, let's look first at the blessings. We have four verses where Jesus talks about the blessings. He addresses these followers in verses 20 through 23 and says, things will go right if you live this way. Let's read those verses again just so they're fresh in our mind. Verses 20 through 23, it says, Turning his gaze towards his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. 
Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. See, the, the primary goal of these Beatitudes, as Jesus is talking about how a life of following God is going to be blessed, what he's doing is he's trying to encourage these disciples because, because sometimes disciples, followers of Jesus can look around at life and go, this doesn't look like the, the good life that God promised. Has anybody ever thought that in life before? I'm not, I'm not going to call you out. You don't have to raise your hand, but, but sometimes we follow Jesus and, and it's a little bit difficult sometimes, right? You know, there, there, there's, there's preachers out there that will say that, that if you follow Jesus, if you give a little bit to God, then God's going to bless you and God's going to make you rich and God's going to make you happy and, and life is going to be perfect and no one will ever get sick. And that's just, that's just not accurate, right? There's times where life is hard. There's times where the world that we live in is broken, and so we deal with sickness, disease. We, we deal with pain. We deal with evil that exists in the world. There are things that just don't make sense sometimes to us, right? So we can't just assume that everything is going to be perfect and, and exactly as we want it to be, but what Jesus is doing here is he's saying this way is blessed because ultimately this is the way that God tells you to live and wants you to live, and ultimately this is the way that's going to work out best for you even though you may be without, even though you may be humbled, even though things may not be perfect, this way is ultimately the way that God is going to bless and ultimately the way that it's going to work out for you. So let's look at these things. As we look at these blessings, we look at where it says, blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who hunger. Blessed are you when when men hate you. Blessed are you who weep. It brought to mind for me a, a picture of something that, that hopefully will make a little bit of sense for us as we think about this idea. I think most of us sitting here tonight, you could reach into your phone, into your pocket, and you could pull out your phone, right? We've got these incredible devices in our pocket, and if we, if we reach into our pocket, we can pull out an alarm clock, right? We can pull out a flashlight. We can pull out a newspaper. We can pull out a computer. We can pull out all kinds of things and things, and it's all in this one device, right? It's all in your phone. I don't have my phone with me because I don't like it being up here in my pockets. But anyways, you could reach in your pockets and you could pull out your phone. And, and what way it may have seemed crazy 30 years ago to have all of those things in your pocket, now you have all of those things in a single device in your pocket, right? But I want to ask you, what would happen if you used that device in a way that it wasn't created to be used. It's an incredible tool. There's a lot of incredible things that it's able to do, but, but construction guys, Bruce, you're a construction guy. What if you took your phone out and you went to drive a nail with it and so you flip it over and whack, 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 try to drive a nail with that phone? It's not going to be the right tool for the job, right? You're going to end up with a broken phone and probably a, a grumpy spouse because you got to go get a new one. That thing's not cheap. What are you doing? You use the wrong tool for the job. Even though it's an incredible tool that's able to do a lot of things, you didn't use it the way that it was supposed to be used, and what well, it didn't do what it was supposed to do. I think as we look at this passage, as we look at what God is saying, what Jesus is teaching, saying this is the way that it's supposed to be lived, not this way. Blessed are you when you live this way, and cursed will, your, your life will be cursed when you live this way. 
I think this really clearly should perk our ears up as we look at this tonight because I think there's a lot of Christians in our world. There's a lot of people who, who say, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I follow Jesus. But then sometimes you get frustrated, right? Sometimes we get frustrated because life's not the way I want it to be. Well, sometimes life's hard. Sometimes I, I get depressed or I feel abandoned or I feel alone. Or you know, the, the Bible talks about how life is supposed to be joyful when we follow Jesus about how God is going to give me all the things that I need. He's going to supply all of my needs. The Bible talks about all these incredible blessings and all these incredible things that come along with following Jesus. But, but can we just be honest and pause for a second? I think sometimes we get frustrated with Jesus that, that it didn't all work out the way that we wanted it to, but it's because we're not using the tool the way that it's supposed to be used. What Jesus says is, is follow me. Follow me completely. Follow me with everything that you've got. Lay aside everything else that used to be important to you and follow me. And when you do that, then I will give you all of those blessings. When, when, when you lay aside everything else and follow me wholeheartedly, that's when Paul is able to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can face all persecution. I can face all the problems. I can deal with all the stuff, and I can handle all of it. It's not because casually having a Christian radio station saved as one of the six buttons on your car radio, like that doesn't magically somehow make everything perfect in life. But when we, but when we, when we, when we sign on the dotted line and we give them everything, when we, when we fully submit, when we fully surrender, when we do this idea of being a disciple like the way that God tells us to, man, it just, it just works. So we look at these verses. As we look at these verses, it talks about these blessings and these curses. I, I want to caution us because in these verses, what we don't have is a shopping list. What we don't have here is a list of things that we can go, well, I want to be blessed, so I'm going to make sure that I'm hungry. I want to make sure that, that it's going to go well with me, so I want to make sure that, I, that, that they don't connect one-to-one -one where we get to go, well, I want that one, so I'm going to make sure I do that. Well, I don't want that, so I'm going to make sure I don't do that. What we have here is Jesus describing two paths. As Jesus is describing two paths, what we see is a profile of what a disciple is. Someone who is fully committed, that, that word disciple means someone who is giving all of it, that, that they want to follow Jesus so closely. They want to learn what it looks like to, to do things the way that Jesus did, that they're just going to follow everything that he does. They're going to do everything the way that he did it. And that picture of what a disciple is, is a poor, hungry, sorrowful, rejected individual. That's what Jesus talks about when he, when he lists these things. He says that, a disciple is poor, hungry, sorrowful, and rejected. And these beatitudes, these blessings that Luke is talking about, that Jesus has taught, these are just, they're, they're, they're spiritual bombs. Like they, they blow up, they destroy any shallow talk of casually following Jesus. And they're calling for true commitment. Let's look at these four things. The first one that, that Jesus talks about is, he says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. That term poor has more of a theological sense here as we read it than an economic sense. King David used this term poor in Psalm 40, in Psalm 86, in Psalm 109. He talked about how he was poor and needy. Now, if you've read any of the rest of the Old Testament, you'll know that King David was not economically poor. 
He wasn't lacking uh, food. There there was always food on the table. What he's saying is they would have interpreted this as it was talking about King David being poor. Jesus is talking about them being poor along the lines of the way that Matthew chapter 5 says it. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the people who, who know that they're not enough on their own. Guys, we are not enough on our own. It's why we took communion tonight, because we weren't enough on our own, but Jesus was. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Next, Jesus said, blessed are the hungry. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. The Old Testament does not directly equate blessings with physical hunger, but it does command a different kind of hunger. I want to read for you guys a couple of verses from uh, Psalms. Psalm 63, it says, O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. As the psalmist is writing here, he's, he's talking about that, that, that hunger, that thirst for, God, I want more of you. We write songs about verses like this. It says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, O God. The psalmist wrote in another place. When Jesus was, was talking about this in John chapter 4, he talks about how he became the source of all satisfaction. He was talking with the woman at the well in Samaria, if you remember that story. John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, Jesus was talking to this woman, and it says, He answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water, talking about himself. Uh, sorry, I said that wrong. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, talking about the, the water from the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Jesus is saying in these verses, uh, the psalmist is saying in those verses that we read just a moment ago that, that God blesses spiritual hunger. God blesses those who, who want more. Have you ever been in a place where you've, you've just been constantly hungry for more of God? Maybe it was when you were a first, uh, first a, a believer. You were brand new at this whole thing, and you had so many questions. You you didn't know what all these stories were that, that people would talk about. Oh, yeah, when King David did blah, blah, blah. And you're like, I don't know. I don't know that story. Well, I got to go read my Bible more. I got to go, go find the answers. What is it that they're talking about? Have you ever had that time where you're hungry for more? You're hungry for more. You're hungry for more of God. You know what the Bible tells us? It tells us that God will always satisfy that hunger and give us more. And you know what it does? It leaves us wanting more. It leaves us, we, we, we constantly want more, but that is a blessed place to be. The Bible talks about how we are blessed when we are hungering for more of God, that we want more, we want more, we want more. When our eyes are on the eternal fulfillment of this, this hunger that Jesus is talking about, we will be filled, we will be blessed. Let's look at the next one. Blessed are those who weep and who mourn. Says, blessed are you who weep, for you shall weep now, for you shall laugh. This may refer to the kind of weeping that's caused by the oppression that's mentioned in just a moment in the next beatitude, which God is one day going to make right. But I think it also speaks of the importance of thoughtful sorrow, of, of somber 
reflection on the weighty things of life. Blessed are us who mourn, because there are times when, when we look around and it's appropriate for us to mourn. There are times when our hearts should break when we look at the, the plight of people in the world. When we look at the, the situation that other people around us find themselves in, we see this in Jesus himself in a couple of different places in the Gospels. Luke chapter 13 and Luke chapter 19. I'm just going to read those back to back. Luke 13, it says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not have it. Jesus was heartbroken because the people in Jerusalem refused him. The people in Jerusalem refused to follow in the way that they needed to follow. Luke chapter 19, Jesus again is, is, is talking here. It says, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. See, there's, there's times where it's appropriate for us to weep. It's appropriate for us to mourn. It's appropriate for us to be grieved because there's things that, that should grieve us, right? There's, there's spiritual realities that it's important for us to, to pause and to reflect and to remember the, the significance, the weight of things sometimes. Jesus is, is weeping over lost souls, people in Jerusalem who are so blind that they refuse to see what God has put right in front of them in the Messiah and the one that was coming to save them. It's appropriate for us to weep over the world's misery that we see around us every day. You don't have to turn on the news or cut on social media for long to see misery around us every day. It's appropriate for us to weep over injustice that falls on so many helpless people. It's appropriate for us to weep over the unfairness that victimizes the weak. It's appropriate for us to weep over child abuse. It's appropriate for us to weep over adultery, over betrayals, over loneliness, over depression, over broken families, over addictions. It's appropriate for us to weep and to mourn over the pain and the difficulty that, that this sin-broken world has caused in the lives of so many people, both us and the unsaved around us. But what we do now is, is we weep now and we look forward to the eternal joy that will one day come. See, he says, blessed are those who weep because because God's ultimately going to set all of those things right one day. There's going to come a day where, where people won't be addicted to sinful habits anymore, where there won't be crack babies born anymore, where there won't be depression and sickness anymore. There won't be all of these things that we look around and we see brokenness all around us. These things won't exist one day because God's going to come back one day and make all of them right. Finally, he says, blessed are those who are rejected. He says, blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. I think it's important for us to read these carefully because sometimes I think it, there are times where we may read that and we, we read, there are times when Christians will be persecuted. But it's important for us to be honest here for a minute, Right? We have to be honest. Sometimes there are Christians who are persecuted not for the sake of Jesus, not because they're so much like Jesus, but because they're just kind of being jerks, right? Right? Like, let's, let's just admit it. Sometimes 
Christians, we have a tendency of, uh, of being self-righteous and getting up on our high horse and some of that Pharisee that we've seen so many other times in the Gospels and we're going to see a lot more, it, it kind of creeps out in us, right? There are times where we go, well, I would never do that. I, I, I'm better than that. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how sometimes the world knows us more for what we stand against than what we stand for. You don't get points for, for being a jerk. You don't get points for being persecuted because you're being a jerk. What Jesus says here is, when you're persecuted for the sake of the Son of Man, the NIV says it, because of the Son of Man. Blessed are you when you're persecuted because you're like me, is what Jesus is saying. The fact that everyone who lives like Jesus will be persecuted is what he's talking about here. Jesus said this, talking about this in, in John chapter 15, telling the disciples before he left, before he went to the cross, he said, remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Paul also uh, talking about this years later after Jesus had, had come and gone. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul warns Timothy, a young pastor that he's training and, and teaching what it looks like to follow Jesus. He says, indeed, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There are few people in our time who have lived this out more effectively, have seen this more directly than Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a pastor who lived about 100 years ago. He was a, a German pastor who came to America for school and then went back to Germany to face and stand in direct opposition to Nazi Germany. With that as the, the picture in our minds of who this guy was, he said this, I quote, Suffering then is a badge of true discipleship. The disciple is not above his master. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ, and it is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. In fact, it is a joy and a token of his grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that while he was alive, and then where his life was taken was in a concentration camp. He knew what it meant to suffer for the sake of Christ. But you know what he did? He stood for the truth anyways. He stood for what was true. See, it's, it's easy for Christians sometimes to, to just go with the flow. We live in a world that is fully sinful and, and fully opposed to what God wants from us so, so, so often. It's easier for us to go with the flow. It's much harder to swim against the tide than it is to just roll with what the world tells us to do. So our question in this is, are we hated sometimes because we look so much like Christ that, that we make people uncomfortable? Not because we point and wag our fingers at them, but because we look so much like Jesus that, that just in the same way that Jesus made people uncomfortable and Jesus stood for what was true even when it wasn't the popular thing. Are we hated for Christ? Have we been excluded for Christ? Do we suffer insult? For the sake of Christ? Are we rejected because of Christ? As if we are, what Jesus is saying here is that is a blessed path for us to be on. In the same way that they hated Jesus, they will hate us if we look like him. But that's a good thing. Next, Jesus kind of uh, turns and, and offers parallel dangers. In the same way he said, these are the things that are a part of the blessed life. These are the things that you need to look out for and be aware of. These four woes match and contrast the four blessings. 
Let's read those verses again so they're fresh in our mind. Verses 24 through 26. It says, Woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. First one is, woe to you who are rich and and full, well fed. What he means here when he talks about woe, danger, and, and, and rich must be understood in light of what we just said about the blessings for the poor and the hungry. This is not simply a statement of economic status. What we see here is, is Jesus talking about the, the arrogant, self-sufficient, I'm good enough on my own, dishonest person that says, I've got it all. I don't need help from anyone. It's a tendency that, that can creep in with, with monetary wealth, but more importantly than that, Jesus is talking about the heart of a person, not the bank account of a person. The self-sufficient rich are singled out because they don't realize the fact that they still have this gigantic, glaring need in their life. They are not good enough on their own to meet up to God's standard. Perfection, right? The warning is serious. Wealth can create a sense of independence that results in distance from God. Paul talked about this same idea in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verses 6 through 12, he says, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take out of it anything either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. See, let's just be real here for a minute, because I think this this temptation probably touches each and every one of us here. Money can be a dangerous thing. Self-sufficiency can be a dangerous thing. Comfort can be a dangerous thing. What Paul was talking about there, he said, be content with, with enough. You don't need more. Enough is okay. We live in a, a place in the world in history where prosperity really is, is a part of all of our lives. Most of the time, we don't wake up and, and wonder where our food is going to come from. We know it's in the big refrigerator in the kitchen. It's in the big cabinets that we have full of food. We are blessed far beyond what many people in history have, have experienced. And with that comes a danger. With that comes a danger of contentment, of, 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 of comfort, of complacency, of I've got this. I'm enough on my own. See, there are times where we feel like we're enough, that, that there's money in the bank account, there's money in the savings account just in case sometimes things go a little wonky. And that comfort leaves us to not feeling like we need God very much. Be careful of being the self-sufficient man or woman who doesn't realize 
it doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank, you ultimately will come up short if you stand before God on your own. We are not enough on our own. All you have to do, I'll say it this way. I had a preacher once that I was listening to that said, anybody who thinks they're a good person, imagine technology has come a long ways throughout the history of mankind. Imagine we finally get to the point one day where you can stick a a chip, a, a memory card in the back of your brain somewhere, and it'll record a day. Everything you look at, every thought you have, every word that happens inside of your head can record every moment of it, and then we're going to bring it to church, and we're going to play it on the big screen for everybody. Do you still think you're a good person? Do you still think you're perfect? Do you think, still think you measure up to God's perfect standard? Guys, danger lights should be flashing in your mind right now. We may not be that far from that. That was years ago. I remember hearing that, but, but guys, hear me. All of us, all of us come up short on our own. All of us come up short of God's standard of perfect obedience. Don't ever let the money in the bank account or, or, or the, the, the feeling of self-sufficiency of, of I'm good enough leave you in the place where you think you're, you're good enough. Guys, we're not good enough and we never will be. Danger, danger, danger to you who are rich and full, well-fed, as Jesus is talking about here. Woe to you who laugh, the next one that he talks about. This, this state of happiness, of laughter, of gluttony, of the self-sufficient rich, one day it's going to end, and it will be followed by an eternal state of mourning and weeping, as Jesus is talking about. This statement was not an attack on laughter. It's not wrong to laugh. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the grumpy, cheerless Christians. There are some people that may believe that, but God doesn't want you to be grumpy and cheerless. Humor and laughter are good and are necessary and are actually in the Bible too. Solomon says in in Proverbs 17, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. So when Jesus says here, blessed are those who mourn and woe to those who laugh, what he's saying here is the superficial, shallow mirth of someone who is just constantly looking for the next giggle, the next fun moment, the, 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 the next high that characterizes the world is a dangerous path to live on. The inability to weep at the right things, the inability to take seriously the things that should be taken seriously is a dangerous path to be on. The ability to laugh at the wrong things, that doesn't take us long on TV to find these days either, does it? The inability to take seriously the things that should be taken seriously, the inability to not laugh at things that that shouldn't be laughed at, it's dangerous. There are things that should cause us to slow down, that should cause us to grieve, that should cause us to take a breath. Let's be people who can slow down and take the serious things seriously. Finally, Woe to you who are popular. You got to be popular, right? That's what we're told. You got to be popular. Got to be a person that everybody likes, right? Everybody loves that guy. I want to be that guy. Woe to you who are loved by all. See, this can be a warning to to those who are outside of God's family. It kind of has a little bit of just superficial, hey, 
Don't be the person that just says what everybody else wants you to say, that, that follows along with the crowd all the time. That could be a, a good application of it, but I think more accurately, more appropriately applied, remember Jesus was speaking to his followers here. He was speaking to those who, who said, I want to be like that guy. He says, woe to you Christians who refuse to stand for the truth because it's uncomfortable or unpopular. There are times where I get up here and we just preach through the Bible, right? We finish with this verse, we start with the next one next week, and we're just going to preach what it says. And there are times where I get up here and I say things that are unpopular. Other pastors, preachers get up here and we say things that are unpopular because there are things in the Bible that make us uncomfortable sometimes, right? If you're going to be popular and loved by everybody all the time, the only way to do that is by second-guessing what God had to say, by by shying away from the things that God says that make us uncomfortable or may make other people uncomfortable. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, good teaching, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. What Paul's doing there, he's, he's, he's giving these words as kind of a final commissioning to Timothy, this guy that he's been training to be a pastor. What he's saying is, don't shy away from the hard stuff. There are going to come times where, where people just want to hear what they want to hear, and so they're just going to ignore what the truth is because they just want to hear the things that sound good to them. That sounds familiar. Don't shy away from the truth. Let's remember all of this as we finish. We, we talk about this big chunk. Let's remember these few things as we finish, just like as when we started. These blessings, these warnings, these two paths that Jesus is talking about, these are not a shopping list where we get to pick the blessings that we want and pick the curses that we want to avoid. They describe two types of people. The first type of person that's described as someone who is a fully committed disciple. I shouldn't have to say fully committed because really that's, that's what that word disciple means is someone who's all in. Jesus said, make disciples, make people who want to be an apprentice, who want to follow along, who want to learn how to do everything in the exact same way that I did it. We had 12 disciples. We had these other disciples that were following and, well, we want to follow him. And then those guys had disciples and well, they want to follow them because he's following them. And it was this train that brings us all the way to where we are today. People have followed, people who followed, people who followed, people who followed Jesus. I want to be like those people because they know what it looks like to be the person that God wants them to be. It's this cycle, being disciples, fully committed disciples, living the way that God tells us to live. As Jesus is talking about here in these verses, that path is someone who is poor, who realizes they don't have it all, who is humble, who, who realizes that they're not enough on their own, who is hungry, who, who wants more of God constantly, who is persecuted because they stand for the truth. That is the blessed path. That is the path that God calls us to be on. That is the path that for many of us, it's, it's difficult to walk, but it's the path that we want to walk. This other path that he's warning them against is those who want to chase the world and all of their own desires. That can either be two little 
subpaths here. That can either be as someone who is just saying, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. I just want to do what I want to do, a worldly person. That can also be someone who holds tightly to religion, like the Pharisees have that we've seen several times. They want to look good enough, but they're, they're not really all in. If you're going to be all in, you get to be over here on this path. If you're just going to kind of do religion, religion casually, take the Bible verses that sound good and put them on your coffee mug, but, but don't deal with the hard ones that tell you you have to change. If we're just going to do religion that way, we're on the cursed path that leaves us mad at our iPhone because it didn't hammer the nail. That's not the way that God tells us is the blessed life. He says disciples, people who are sold out, people who are hungry, who are poor, who realize that they're not enough, this is the one that's blessed. This is a hollow representation that that leaves you empty and wanting more. The blessings and the woes have two key points. This is it. I'll read these and we're done. The first one is God is aware of what's going on in our lives and he promises to vindicate the faithful. You may be hungry now, but you're not going to be hungry forever. You may be poor now, but you're not going to be poor forever. You may be criticized now, but you're not going to be criticized forever. God's going to vindicate the faithful. And then these blessings and woes reflect God's priorities and what he values. So guys, can I, can I offer one encouragement for us tonight? God has declared what he values, what he prioritizes. Let's do the same thing. Let's do the same thing. Let's be those disciples that say, God, you get it all. You get it all. You don't get an hour a week. You don't get one of the six presets on my radio. You don't, you don't get casual, comfortable, a little corner of my life that I want to give you. You get it all. That is the life that God's calling us to. That is the life that is blessed. As we finish up, I'm going to pray. Uh, we're going to sing one final song. Our prayer team is going to be over here on the side as we finish. If any of this resonated with you, if any of this left you uncomfortable and, and wanting to figure out what all of this looks like, of, of how you walk that committed disciple path, come talk to somebody. Come pray with somebody. We would love nothing more than to have an opportunity to chat with you. Come find me. Come spend time with our prayer team. Let's pray together. Ouch, Jesus. Jesus, you challenged these disciples, and, and God, you challenged me this week as, we, as I chewed on this passage. And God, I pray that you challenged some of us here tonight that, that listen to your words. God, we don't get to just we don't get to just come and and do this casual religious Christian thing and expect all of the blessings that you describe here in these beatitudes. God, help us to have the attitudes that that are talked about here. God, to to realize that we are not enough. God, to chase after you with hunger and and wanting more constantly because God, we need more of you. God, give us that desire in our guts, in the depths of our soul. God, we need you. God, do your work in our lives. And God, don't allow us to rest if we are on the other path, if we are on 
a path where we are just seeking what we want, our desires, our worldly ambitions. God, don't let us sleep tonight. God, don't let us walk out of here and, and, and casually stuff that in a corner somewhere in our mind and, and forget about it. God, we want to be a church that is fully sold out, is fully committed, is fully, God, we're all in. God, help us to be people who are all in, as Jesus talked about in this passage. We want to be the blessed ones, the, 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 the ones on the blessed path of discipleship. God, do your work in us that only you can do. We need you. God, we need your work in us. Jesus, we need your work in us. It's in your name. It's in your precious sacrifice that you gave on the cross that we pray. Amen.